Last week, we looked at T as for the Ten Commandments, and we saw how the Ten Commandments reveal who God is to us, reveal his own character as a reflection of his nature and his own heart, what he's opposed to and what he is for. And they also reveal in that way the fact that we do not reflect rightly his character, that we fall short of the glory of God. And so we saw that God has done what the law could not do, what we could not do by the law in our flesh. He sent his own son to fulfill the law, to die under the curse of the law. And now he sends his spirit to enable us more and more to obey the law by faith. And so that was last week. Now tonight is connected to the fact of the Holy Spirit coming and enabling us, the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Uh, And that's connected to unction or the anointing of the Spirit. Because U is for unction is what we'll be considering tonight. And turn and open your Bibles to the passage tonight. We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 16. The Apostle Paul writes... And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had... They would not have crucified the Lord our glory, the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So far the reading of God's word. May the Spirit bless us tonight with great insight, clarity, and understanding of this text to apply it rightly. Amen. What is unction? Unction. It's a good question and a hard question to answer. So here is my best attempt to define what unction is, what we're considering tonight. Unction is the special accompaniment of God's Spirit upon a person 
enabling them to speak the truth about Jesus with a demonstration of divine power so that hearts are made new by faith and drawn in love towards God and towards one another. So let me repeat that again. Unction is a special accompaniment of God's spirit upon a person, enabling them to speak the truth about Jesus with the demonstration of divine power so that hearts are made new by faith and drawn in love towards God and one another. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great Baptist preacher, he says this of unction. He says, I wonder how long we might beat our brains before we could plainly put into words what is meant by preaching with unction. Yet he who preaches knows its presence, and he who hears soon detects its absence. Samaria in famine typifies a discourse without it. Jerusalem, with her feast of fat things full of marrow, may represent a sermon enriched with it. Such is the mystery of spiritual anointing. We know, but we cannot tell to others what it is. It is as easy as it is foolish to counterfeit it. Unction is a thing which you cannot manufacture, and its counterfeits are worse than worthless. Yet it is in itself priceless and beyond measure, needful if you would edify believers and bring sinners to Christ. Now, here's another author in his book on the power of prayer. E.M. Bounds writes this. He says, Unction gives the words of the preacher such point, sharpness, and power, which creates such friction and stirs in many a dead congregation. The same truths that have been told in strictness of letter, but with no signs of life, no pulse throb, all as peaceful as the grave and as dead. The same preacher in the meanwhile who receives a baptism of this unction, the divine inflatus is upon him. The letter of the word has been embellished and fired by this mysterious power and the throbbing of life begins. The unction pervades and convicts the conscience and breaks the heart. Now, another simpler maybe way and useful way I find very helpful to think of unction in preaching uh, comes from uh, a sermon by the Presbyterian minister, Tim Keller, who uses this story of Elijah's showdown with the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets there on Mount Carmel. And they were trying to compete with one another. Uh, Who has the greater God, right? Who is really the, the man of God, the prophet of God. And there, Elijah, he builds an altar, right? But God has to send the fire. And Elijah was so keen on demonstrating God's power in that event that Elijah, before he asked God to pour down fire upon the altar, Elijah pours water on the altar, on the wood. Why? Well, to show that it was not from his own strength or power, but the strength and power was from God. And this is very similar to what Paul speaks of here in Corinthians, the passage that we looked at. You see, Paul didn't try and show off with clever speech or lofty eloquence as he went about preaching or in Corinth as he preached the gospel. He says he came in weakness and trembling. It's as if we can think of it as him pouring water on the altar of his preaching, the water of weakness, right? But what Paul had that the other frauds that were trying to compete with him did not have, what Paul had was that fire 
from heaven in his preaching. The other preachers tried to compete with the Apostle Paul for popularity, and they were great orators, right? They had polished eloquence. It was a very popular thing. Um, it, was, it was very common for people to entertain as orators in ancient society. And so they used a lot of eloquence, a lot of rhetoric. They were great entertainers. But Paul is saying they didn't have the unction of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that fire from heaven. No demonstration of the Spirit's power. And Paul is not boasting in this. It's the opposite. He's saying rather that I've never tried to be clever because I don't want you to think much of me as a preacher is what he's saying. I don't want you to think much of me. I want you to think much of Christ and him crucified. He's saying my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why, he says, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. In the same way, like Elijah, wanting them to see the power of God, not see the power of some prophet, but the power of God who is behind that prophet. Now, Paul, he wanted to change the Corinthians' focus. They were too focused on the packaging of the gospel message, on the presentation of the gospel message. And Paul is basically saying, who cares about the way it's packaged? What matters is the content, Christ and him crucified. And this actually reminds me of a story that I just heard last night. Uh, by Janice Schenk. And so, as I remember, some years ago, people wrapped up these silly white elephant gifts in elaborate and exquisite paper and bows. You know, they looked beautiful. And one gift in particular was passed around. Everyone wanted it. Everyone was stealing it. And at the end of the exchange, they opened up all the gifts. And the one that was so beautifully wrapped was a toilet seat cover, right? (laughs) And so you see the packaging can be deceiving, right? The content is what is most important. It's similar to what Proverbs 31.30 says about women. It's true of preaching too. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So how is that similar to a sermon? A beautiful and charming speech or discourse can be deceptive and fleeting, But a sermon filled with the fear of the Lord is that gold standard of what we should look for and what we should desire. Another Scottish theologian of the 19th century, James Denny, he makes this haunting statement about preaching, which is helpful here. He says this, no man can give the impression that he himself is clever and that Christ is mighty to save. That's so good. Let me repeat that. No man can give the impression that he himself is clever and that Christ is mighty to save. And so if people leave a sermon thinking, wow, that preacher is so clever. What a great order. What a great speaker. Well, he has failed. He has failed. The goal of preaching is for people leaving with their hearts burning with love and rejoicing in the greatness of Christ for them. That's the goal of preaching. Not walking away, oh, that's a clever preacher. But no, that's a great Messiah. That's a great Christ for me. Now, does that mean that preachers should avoid all eloquence or clever poetry or use of rhetoric in their preparation, in their preaching? No, no, we shouldn't jump to that extreme conclusion. 
And the Baptist preacher, a contemporary preacher today, John Piper says this on that point. He says, Christian preaching may be eloquent. And he points out that the scriptures themselves have a, a beauty of eloquence in the way that they're written in the poetry. It is not, however, the decisive factor in salvation or sanctification. It's not as if the eloquence is what's decisive, what saves. No, God is. But God invites us to create our own eloquent phrases for his namesake, not ours. And in the mystery of his sovereign grace, he will glorify himself in the hearts of others, sometimes in spite of and sometimes because of the words we have chosen. In that way, he will keep us humble and get all the glory for himself. And so we see that the goal of unction is to make much, not of men, but to make much of Christ. And also notice that this is a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit. And since it comes from the Spirit of God, the true demonstration of unction will manifest itself in a way that aligns with who God is, with his character, with the attributes and characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is really important. I used to think that the emphasis, for example, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, on the boldness of the apostles preaching, that they had kind of a fiery tone and delivery in their preaching. That's what I imagined when I heard of the boldness of the apostles. And I, I kind of imagined them basically yelling and loud in the face of others, somewhat combative. But, and I think sadly, this is the way that a lot of Christians perhaps uh, kind of view unction or view powerful, fiery preaching. And so they hear a preacher who is loud, combative, and boisterous from the pulpit, and they think, ah, he has the unction of the Spirit, right? But let me ask this question, and this hit me maybe last year when I was thinking about this. Uh, does that describe the person of the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit loud, combative, and boisterous? No. What defines the Holy Spirit? Is it not the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit? Therefore, I think true Spirit-filled preaching does not always sound loud and boisterous. It can, and sometimes it is. But the true Spirit-filled preaching is always loving, always joyful, always peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. Spirit-filled preaching has the marks of the fruit of the Spirit upon it. And so the fruit of the Spirit is a better criteria for us to evaluate the demonstration of the Spirit's power than say, you know, is he loud, combative, and boisterous? So what kind of boldness did the apostles have then that we read about in Acts is boldness that came from the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's a boldness in the sense of fearlessness or the sense of courage, real courage. And this happens when the Spirit of God grants the preacher the fear of God that displaces the fear of man, which often paralyzes and ties the tongue of preachers. And so only when the fear of God is, is greater than our fear of man, then we can actually love others and speak the truth to them clearly and winsomely. And so that's the kind of boldness the apostles had, this kind of uh, fear of God that displaced their fear of man, that allowed them to speak that truth in love and boldness with courage. So not only that, not only that, but also what Jesus promised it applies here too. Jesus promised that he would give 
us the words to say in the time we need it, that we are not to worry about what we would say. And he says that in Luke 12, 11 through 12, where he says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. A great promise, but what does this mean? Should we expect that the Holy Spirit will just zap us with new revelation, new information on the fly in the heat of the moment? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is that what the unction is? No, that is actually slothfulness and laziness. That's not what he's talking about. Instead, I think it works in this way. What Jesus is promising is this, that the Holy Spirit, his unction brings clarity and focus to the mind of the preacher, the mind of the person. It's kind of like getting into the zone. If you've heard of that speak, getting into the zone, kind of this mental precision that the Holy Spirit brings and gives to a person. And in that state of mind, the Holy Spirit will kind of reach down into the basement of your mind to find biblical truths that you have already stored and filed away therein. So at some point previously in your life, you heard it, you studied it, you read some passage in scripture. And so it's there, it's filed away in your heart. And then in that moment, right when you need it, the Holy Spirit goes and finds that truth, filed away, grabs it and opens it up to your conscious mind clear and ready for you to use. So the unction of the Spirit is not God giving you new revelation, but rather him pressing old revelation that we've learned before, but now in a new and fresh way that is precisely relevant to the situation that you find yourself in. And that is, that's a great promise. The Holy Spirit, that Jesus is saying that when you find yourself in that time of need, the Holy Spirit will bring you the truth that you need, that you've already stored away in your heart. And so this means that believing the unction of the Spirit and trusting in Jesus' promise should not discourage us from the study of God's word. To the contrary, right? The more we study and prepare, well, the more truth of God's word will be filed away in the basement of our hearts. And we want to give the Holy Spirit something to work with, right? The Holy Spirit isn't going to give you some new revelation on the spot. You're not an apostle, right? The canon is closed. And so that means that if you know very little of God's word, if you do not spend time in God's word, if you do not study it, then you are limiting, in a sense, what the Holy Spirit can help you call to remembrance. He can't call you to remember something that you never learned in the first place. Whereas the more you know, the more arsenal you leave at the disposal of the Holy Spirit to grab and pour fire from heaven down upon it. And isn't that what happened with Stephen? In the book of Acts, he wasn't even an apostle. He was a deacon who was dragged in front of the Sanhedrin and the Jewish religious leaders. And they brought all kinds of accusations against him. And Stephen, it says, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he had the unction. Just as Jesus promised, the Spirit guided his heart, his mind, and his tongue to preach a heart-piercing sermon. So the Holy Spirit accompanied with power his words, words of truth to pierce the hearts of those who listened. And Luke tells us in Acts 7, verse 54 to 58, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, his sermon, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. 
But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Wow. So Stephen had the unction of the Holy Spirit, right? And as an old Scottish preacher said, with a sweet violence, his preaching pierced into the heart and affections of those who listened. So those men who were dead in their trespasses and sins, well, such power in the gospel to them was the aroma of death to them. And why, why did they cover the ears? They, it smelled like death to them. It smelled like foolishness, like blasphemy. And so they covered their ears, yelled, and stoned because his words were piercing their hearts, convicting them. Why did they respond in that way? Well, Paul told us already in 1 Corinthians, he said, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. And so we we learn from that, that unction from the spirit adds divine power to the preaching of the gospel, but it only gives power that leads to life for those who have the spirit of God, for those who are elect of God. Otherwise, people who are without the spirit of God only see such power as foolishness, as hate speech, or as blasphemy. And so we see an example there in Stephen of the unction of the Holy Spirit. One last question for us tonight. Is this unction that we're speaking about Just for preachers. Am I just preaching to myself, in a sense, tonight? No, it's not. It's for all of us. It's for all of us in Christ. Why? Because we all have the anointing of the Spirit as Christians. And that's what the Heidelberg Catechism says in question and answer 32. It says, why are you called a Christian? This is why. Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus am partaker of his anointing, that is his unction. Why? So that I may confess his name. You see, that's the first thing there, that we might confess, speak his name, speak his truth. In fact, this is a gift that we should all ask for. The unction of the spirit is a gift that we should prepare for, studying God's word, in that sense, filing away God's truth into the basement of our hearts, And also praying that God would grant us that fire from heaven in the heat of the moment is precisely when we need that extra help from the Spirit. What kind of moments might the unction of the Spirit come in handy for us, for all of you? Well, you should ask for the unction of the Spirit when a friend or a colleague asks you, why are you a Christian? Have you ever been asked that question? You kind of get paralyzed with fear, like, how am I going to answer that, right? Or why do you go to church every Sunday? Well, ask for the unction of the Holy Spirit. Believe in the promise of Jesus. You have studied God's word. You filed away that truth in your heart. And according to his promise, he will give you the words to say. Not new, fresh revelation, but old revelation in a new and fresh and relevant way. Precisely what you need to say. So trust in that promise and ask God to give it to you. Or another example, another moment. Ask for unction when your child asks you a hard question like, why do we believe that Jesus is God? Why do we believe in Jesus, right? 
That's a tough question. There are lots of questions that are tough that kids ask us. And so ask for unction of the Holy Spirit to answer rightly and with fire from heaven that might bring conviction and draw their hearts in love and joy for Christ. And also, in general, ask for unction when anyone asks you, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? Right? So we ought to be prepared. We ought to study God's word. And we ought to trust in that promise of the unction that is for all Christians, because we all have this share in the anointing of Christ by the Spirit to confess the truth of the gospel. In fact, the New Testament's outpouring of God's Spirit in Acts after the resurrection and ascension Well, that is pointing to the anointing that we all have received. And it is a fulfillment of Moses' desire back in Numbers 11.29 when he said there, I wish that all the Lord's people would be prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. What did Moses want? He wanted all of God's people to be filled with the spirit, to speak the truth of God in love and with joyful conviction. And that is the reality that we are all headed towards in glory. Think about that. We'll end there. One day, one day, we will forever be under the powerful unction of the Holy Spirit, completely enveloped with his glorious presence. With what effect? The effect of us always, forever, for all of eternity, speaking the truth in love, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and exalting Christ to the glory of God. Uh, May the Holy Spirit fill us and anoint us in the ways that we've been talking about until we arrive in glory with Christ. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this passage in 1 Corinthians where we hear about the demonstration of the Spirit's power that comes upon weak men like the Apostle Paul, weak men and women like Elizabeth we heard of this morning who was filled with the Spirit and spoke truth clearly and boldly. We rejoice that you have given us by your Spirit in Christ the anointing of Christ to confess now that truth and love. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you would instill within us a faith and trust in you in your promise to give us the right words and the right moments to pull up from our hearts uh, in the basement there within uh, the truth that we need that is relevant to the time and the moment uh, when others ask that we might speak that truth clearly. Uh, Not that others might think much of us, no, but that others would walk away thinking much of Christ and exalting him. This is our hope and desire in Jesus' name. Amen.